0: as we think many are on the both teachers and students alike from several different schools are on the eve of school starting and uh, so I think I trust this will be an encouragement to you as we consider this last thought about what is personal responsibility and maybe we can apply it to school those adults to jobs and things like that real quick what have we seen thus far in our study of personal responsibility first of all what is that that's knowing and doing what God and others are expecting from me and of me okay so if we're talking about personal responsibility responsibility the basic definition is knowing and doing what god and others are expecting of me that would apply to a teacher obviously parents and and those in authority over me we said what does that look like and so the first description that we've given of personal responsibility is this it's using all of my energies to fulfill expectations of those counting on me so putting all that i have into it all of my energies to fulfill the expectations of those who uh, are counting on me we saw that in the american uh, woodcock and Eli and his two sons, they're negatively considered. Secondly, we described it as this. It is completing a task so that it will endure testing. So when testing comes, when it is tested, it's going to endure. It's going to come through, as we might describe it, with flying colors. uh, If we might picture in such uh, a a statement in our common vernacular. Number three, we saw this is the last one we added to it, is realizing the importance of the task assigned to me. Realizing the importance of the task assigned to me. We saw that in the common crow and King Saul negatively considered that. All right, let's add to it tonight on your outline there. You see the statement. It's very basic, but I like this one. I think it's, it, it, it's good and encouraging all along the same lines. Here's the, the next description. It is turning routine tasks into enjoyable experiences. Oh, boy turning routine tasks into enjoyable experiences. Uh, there's some kids you just don't want to ask if they're ready for school tomorrow, amen? And routine tasks into enjoyable experiences. And sometimes for us as adults, we get caught up with that. Okay, let's look to nature first. Our example from nature is about three foot in length, uh, weighs on average. These are averages, of course. And the average is about 30 pounds in weight. It's a member of the weasel family, and it can be found throughout North America. It's been called by some the acrobat that of the water, just because of its amazing ability to the, the swim, but also very playful. Uh, it is, you might have guessed it, the river otter. And a cute little fellow, isn't he? And uh, the river otter, the river otter. Uh, they're fun-loving. In fact, they like to catch, uh, even in catching their food. Obviously, that's important. All animals need to catch food in order to survive. That's important, but even that is kind of viewed by the otter as an enjoyable time. They're often um, more interested in the sport of the chase uh, than they are necessarily catching their food. In fact, they've been known to catch a fish, play with it, and the release. They catch and release. How about that? And uh, sometimes they just enjoy the fun of it. They just enjoy playing around with a fish. Uh, the otter does, kind of interesting there. They, are, uh, they can catch a fish up to 30 inches in length. They eat about just about any species. One of their favorite is a trout. And that would be with some of ours, right? And They like a trout. Uh, they're interesting. Uh, the otter eats uh, fish. Now, this is interesting, children. Uh, the otter will eat a fish much like uh, adults, or excuse me, humans eat a hot dog. They eat it from one end to the other. And uh, so if you see it eating a fish, it'll start at the head. And, and work its way down and so forth. Now, if you're the kind that eats a hot dog from the middle out, you're just weird, okay? So that's unusual, but the otter kind of eats it like we eat a hot dog, just starting one in and going all the way through, and so he does that kind of scene. I've seen it in a zoo before and that kind of things. Uh, it's favorite food. If you were to ask an otter, they don't talk, and if they do, you have issues. Anyway, uh, you can hear them, that is, all right? But their favorite food is a crayfish, and they like uh, uh, catching those. And they have a unique way of going up, using their tail to stir up the thing, and and then uh, going down with their nose and nestling, nestling rocks or, or, or moving rocks around and things to uncover the crayfish. Yet it'll eat things such as snails and turtles and snakes and eels and insects, crabs, and even frogs. The otter has a good palate, all right? and good experienced palate of eating many different things. So how does it catch the fish? Well, there's really two ways that it uses. I like the first one that it will often employ. Um, it, it will stealthily slip up behind a fish. In fact, it's pretty amazing and its great swimming ability, it will do so without making many ripples. And it'll get to within about 18 inches of a fish, and using its forepaws, it'll all of a sudden make a a thrust towards the fish and grab the fish between its forepaws. Amazingly, it's actually very accurate and seldom misses with that technique, which is pretty amazing. That's pretty quick, you have to be, to catch a fish that way, and so an otter will do that. The other way uh, is a little bit more straightforward. It will outswim a fish and then corner it along the shallow levels of water or against a rock or a bank and do that. One of the most unique things, and I think this is pr- pretty neat considering we're living in Michigan, and certainly they'd be around here. They're all over the North American continent, up into Canada, obviously great uh, concentrations. But one of the most unique things is how it stays active during the winter months, uh, especially in a frozen lake. To be able to get oxygen, the otter um, has was created with a pretty flat, Flat nose. And so it's able to go up and uh, get close to the ice, and there's typically in a frozen lake, there's just a little layer of oxygen bubbles that are there between the top of the water and where the the ice begins. And so it's able to then get that nose up there and breathe in the oxygen in it knees. In fact, sometimes or often what it will do is because it goes up there and it, it exhales its air, it actually creates even more holes in the ice by which air can get into, and they'll use those holes for most of the winter season. And so that enables it to get oxygen, and then it'll go around and catch fish, and even during the frozen winter months, and then it allows it to stay active. Pretty amazing how God has created this creature, isn't it? And uh, its ability to stay active in that way. One of the reasons that I like the, the river otter, uh, I know I'm going uh, quickly, but I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it, it's typically not aggressive. In fact, it's described as being gregarious. Uh, it's fun by nature. It likes having a good time. They like to play different things, and uh, though it is so, kids don't pet it in nature, okay? So stay away and uh, 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 don't say, oh, he's gregarious. Let's go have a hug. Don't do that. That's probably not the best thing, okay? Um, But they are fun to watch and and such. Um, If you ever happen to uh, come across a group of them or a family of them specifically, you'll find them doing all kinds of things. Maybe stop and watch them. I've had the privilege of doing that in the zoo pretty much about it, but it is fun to watch. They're active creatures. They they hardly or seldom stand still, and they're always on the move. Maybe that's why I like them. Uh, Anyway, they're always active and things, and one of the things they do, they love to slide and swim. That's what they They love to play all kinds of different games. Uh, They'll do belly flops in the water. Sometimes you'll catch them doing that. And so uh, that's exciting. They like to play tag, tug of war. They they like a good game of chase. And so uh, fun little animals. The mother otter is really the one that demonstrates for us this characterization of what is personal responsibility. This idea of turning routine tasks into enjoyable experiences. In other words, not letting the task uh, just create so much fear and so much frustration everything that we lose the joy that God wants us to have in everything we do now don't miss that God wants us to have joy in everything we do God wants us to uh, to gain in a sense pleasure at least from completing tasks and fulfilling tasks and leaning on God to do things and so uh, I think the mother otter does a great job I'm going to read an excerpt here from a description of how a mother otter might do that or does do that listen carefully Speaking of a mother otter and her uh, the family there the female waits that 's the mother until the pup 's eyes are open so this is describing as they 're born and in a den and and what transpires after it female waits until the pup 's eyes are open before leading them out of their den the young are afraid of water so she cannot use the underwater passageway she 's forced to dig a hole above the chamber the den allowing the pups to leave the den onto dry land once they leave the the Mother allows them to frolic and romp with each other, exploring their new surroundings with boundless energy. Both father and mother join in this play by scuffling with them and allowing the pups to ride on their backs and sometimes even on, on the front here. And, uh, periodically they slip into the water alone and return with morsels of food to meet the demands of the youngsters growing appetites this is their first exposure to water and the first step in a strategy to familiarize them with it the pups are not forced uh, toward the stream but are allowed to play for several days until the parents feel they are ready to enter the water Either one or both parents have the pups climb on their back for a customary taxi-like ride, or as you've seen the picture above, on, on their stomachs. Um, but this time, instead of running up and down the shoreline, they slip into the water's edge. The panicked pups cling to, in, uh, to the fur in fright, This procedure is repeated until the pups gradually relax, and as they become more confident of their support and more accustomed to the water. Parents, can you uh, identify with this, ever going swimming with a child that's never been in the water before, and where they're like a leech, right, and strangling you and clinging on, and so you can imagine what that's like, even for the otter. Uh, Soon after the young become comfortable in their riding position, the parent slips out from underneath leaving them to experience their buoyancy for the first time. Sometimes they frantically fight to stay above the surface. The parent then glides back underneath and supports them again. And by extending these free-floating periods, the pups gradually learn the fine arts of swimming and become the acrobat of the water. Parents remain the same area throughout the summer, concentrating on developing the skills of the pups, teaching them by example to fish and hunt for crayfish. By the end of the season, not only will the pups have mastered, the pups have mastered their aquatic skills, but of even greater importance, they will have learned how to approach a routine task with the carefree abandon that characterizes this fun-loving mammal. The river otter. Great example in uh, turning a routine task into an enjoyable experience. All right, let's turn to the scripture example too, and uh, we want to see that play out with us. If I were to ask you to list for me one of the uh, the greatest leaders in the Old Testament, no doubt in your top three, top five, top ten, certainly Moses would show up somewhere along the lines. So, uh, uh, he's big stuff. He, he's famous, if you're going to list famous people of the Old Testament and those who we're familiar with. And in fact, I think what points to that is he was one of only two old testament heroes that showed up on the mount of transfiguration so i mean obviously there's something to be said for that and so there was moses along with that and, and you think about what he did uh, um, leading a group of people uh, probably one of the most amazing journeys that has ever been ab- embarked upon it all culminated in their gaining a totally new country to be there Different generations he was in charge of. I mean, you think about it, he led a, a group of people for 40 plus years, different generations, and we knew them to be a, a generations of whining and sometimes complaining and rebellious Jews. He's to be admired for sure. One of the things that factored into him being such a great leader was what God said about Moses. You remember what he said? He described him as being meek and humble. Look at verse 3, Numbers chapter 12, and probably a familiar verse. Notice what it says. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, that's a great statement. kind of kind of flows with what we talked about today, you know. That idea, in a sense, and, and up to that time, certainly Christ would be described as meek and would parallel and compare to, to Moses, if not exceed, for sure, Moses. But uh, God himself describes Moses as, man, the meek is the third. Let's put it into perspective, if we will, okay? Um, I don't know how many of you like to play checkers. Maybe you're more of a chess guy or, or chess lady, and uh, maybe you like chess more than checkers. But let's just say, just for sake of argument and illustration. Let's just say tonight that I, I could claim to be the best checkers player in this entire auditorium. So 200 people gather, whatever the case may be, and I, I can claim to say, hey, you know what? There's not one person in this auditorium, and I'm looking at you, that I can't beat in checkers. Okay, let's say that, okay, now now, it's an illustration, okay, so don't come up to me after the service and slap me across the face and say, I challenge you to a duel of checkers. Okay, don't do that, all right, just an illustration, let's just say that I can say that. In fact, the reality is, I'm sure I am probably not the best checkers player in the auditorium. In fact, there would be some dispute about whether I am the best checkers player in my own family, okay. My kids will say they could beat me. And my wife would probably say that she could beat me. And there is an ominous story about checkers in our past that should never come to the surface. But I'm going to share it with you, actually, right now. (laughs) Do you, you, husband and wife, do you guys ever remember something totally different than each other? Something that happened in the past? like, no, it went this way. No, it went this way. There was a day many, many moons ago where we ate dinner in Cracker Barrel. You know Cracker Barrel, they normally set out their big checkers. So we were playing before the meal came. And I'm telling you, you know, we are into this game. We're playing and so forth. Our waitress knew where we were. And we're sitting there playing checkers at the end. And that waitress came and said our food was ready. was at our table. Like any good gentleman, I said, you know what? Let's just end this game. We'll just stop and we'll leave it. And we need to put everything back just in case someone else was like, let's go eat. It just happened to be that she was beating me at the time. Okay, that has nothing to do with it. I was being courteous. She's hungry. I want to see her fed. And so I said, let's go back. And so since that day, I said, you know, we never finished the game. There's no winner. Up till this day, she says, I quit. That just hurts. So there is great dispute as to who is the best checker player in the Henry household. And we've never played since. I don't know why. But anyway, I mean, so let's just say, though, I mean, it would be pretty impressive to be able to say, hey, I'm the best checkers player in the entire auditorium. That's actually pretty impressive. 200 plus people, whatever the case might be. What if you could say you're the best checkers player in the county? okay tuscola county that's where we are in right now that'd be pretty impressive what if you were able to say you're the best checkers player in the entire mitten Ah, the state of michigan you're the best no one could beat you at checkers hey let's just take it all the way you're the national checkers champion of the united states of america put that on your tombstone okay hey that's wow that's impressive do you catch what god said about moses he was the meekest man in the entire world. There's no one on earth that touches the level of meekness and humility that Moses has. And that's pretty impressive. That's, that, that's, I mean, that's a great accolade, praise, and certainly you know it's true because it comes from God. And uh, yet, it is, and certainly it was one of the reasons, one of the big reasons he was such a great leader. When he was challenged time and time again, he didn't fight for himself. He just he let God take care of it. And yet, we know this to be true, too, in our own lives. Sometimes our greatest strength can become a weakness in different ways. Sometimes our greatest strength can become, it can kind of turn or affect and become an open up a door for a weakness or a, a faltering or a falling. And I'm afraid it did in Moses' life. I'm, a, I'm afraid his humility and meekness almost went out there. I think one of the keys is in life, the Christian life, is balance. Balance. Keeping a God honoring biblical balance to things. You know, in at least three situations, three situations, we uh, see that this meekness and humility caused Moses to shirk some responsibility. Instead of embracing the the responsibility, the task given him with joy and total dependence upon God, uh, anticipating God doing great things in his weakness. Now, this is one of the truths that Paul learned in the New Testament, doesn't he? He says, in my weakness, boy, your strength is going to be shown, God. Uh, Moses didn't quite understand that. Moses, in his meekness, sometimes got so focused on his own feebleness, his inability, the, uh, the provision he didn't have that, boy, it created issues for him. And he almost was hesitant. In fact, you see the blank on there. There was a repeated avoidance on Moses' part. An avoidance of responsibility. An avoidance of responsibility on the part of Moses. He gave, in many ways, he gave way to a wrong outlook. And this evening, I want you to see a a simple thought is is this. And uh, that kind of goes over everything. A wrong outlook Will almost always lead to a wrong outcome. A wrong outlook will almost always lead to a wrong outcome. And I just put it this way, hey, some of the kids say, like, I don't want to go to bed tonight because school starts tomorrow, I'm going to have a terrible year. You know, sometimes your outlook's going to tremendously affect your outcome. It's going to affect us. I'm going to have a terrible day at work tomorrow. Man, your outlook is going to affect your outcome sometimes. You go into the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude, it'll have a negative impact on what lies ahead. You're already in a bad frame of mind. A bad attitude, bad altitude, as my dad used to say. And Listen, my friend, sometimes you need to check that outlook, because that outlook can cause a bad or a negative outcome. Look with me, um, we read Numbers chapter 12. Look over with me to Exodus chapter 3, if you will. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to go be going here throughout the Pentateuch, these first five books, and see several of them. But let's look at Exodus chapter 3, if you will, with me quickly. Let's see, see at least three areas in which um, Moses, Moses, Moses showed an avoidance of a task and uh, that was obviously a great hindrance to him and had a great effect on him and certainly Israel. Exodus chapter number three, look at verse number 10 with me if you will. Exodus chapter number three and verse number 10. God is speaking to uh, to Moses. He says this, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee into Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my, peop, uh, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, that's a great statement. Here's God, and, and I will say this. I, I think we've studied this passage, and we won't spend a ton of time on it before. Uh, we studied before, we won't spend a ton of time on it right now. I will say this. I think this is a great application in expression of Moses' meekness right here. He says, listen, God, I'm really a nobody. I'm, I'm nothing. And that's a good place to start because God is everything. And he realizes that. Moses says, God, I'm nothing, but you, you are something. And so God speaks to that. Hey, I am, I'm I'm going to do that. In verse 12, God says this. Now, this is crucial. Verse 12, he says this. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Now, may I just tell you, listen, young person, listen, uh, Christian. One of the great promises of scriptures is that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm with you all the way. I'm never going to leave you alone. And now, listen, that's not only that I'm going to be with you in presence, but here's the key. It means you will also have God's provision of supply. Whatever Moses was going to need to get the job done, God said, I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to have it ready and available for you. And I sure am thankful that our God in heaven says the same thing to you and I. Any task, any challenge, any responsibility that we face, God says, I'll be with you there with throughout it, and everything I have, I'll, I'll give you as you need it to get the task done, to fulfill the responsibility that's laid upon you. Now, remember that, because unfortunately for Moses, it went in one ear and out the other. He begins to raise some concerns. Look at verse number 13, if you will, with me, the same chapter. Verse number 13, his response. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Again, not a terrible response on his part, but it's beginning to show a pattern with Moses. And don't miss it. Uh, We see the beginning. His reluctance is starting to come through. I I wonder this. Okay, just think of it. God comes to Moses and says, listen, I'm going to send you. You're going to go to Israel and we're going to turn, or Egypt, excuse me. We're going to turn Egypt upside down. They ain't going to know what's going to hit them. They don't have a clue. I'm going to take this entire nation out. You're going to do great wonders. Things are going to be great. I just wonder, shouldn't Moses have been like, woohoo, and started heading for the door? <laughs> This is going to be fantastic. God's going to use me. He's called me. I, it is God of heaven, of all creation. He says this is going to happen. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to go. It ought to have been, I believe, that God was, should have been called. Hey, Mo, Mo, Moses, come back here. we got to talk about a couple things before you go. But that wasn't the case. Moses was looking around. He's thinking to himself, I can't do that. That's not going to work. It's not going to do this. And, man, you know what that does? And don't miss it. When you and I start with fear and and start getting worried, man, it just steals the joy of anything we do. It steals our dependence upon God and understanding, boy, he can do this. If he says he wants me to do it, he can do it. And it does that here for Moses. This hesitancy. Uh, He should have been full of excitement about the task, thrilled that he was chosen to speak for the God of heaven, to be God's instrument of deliverance. But there was hesitation. Reluctance. And I just imagine as he speaks, there's just a little hint. Coming up in his voice that God could detect and others could, a little bit of dread creeping up in his voice as he asked these questions. Look at verse 16. I love God's response in this passage. He says, listen, uh, Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together, say unto them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. I love that. It's a great answer by God to Moses. Go and speak to the elders. Tell them exactly who I am, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to deliver them. Tell them their prayers have been heard, and they're going to be delivered. Now, is there any better news to give than that? I mean, this is an exciting thing that Moses has to share. So hundreds of years they've been there as a nation under the mighty arm and oppressive arm of the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And Moses has this wonderful message to go and tell. And he's reluctant. He's hesitant. He's, he's kind of holding back to this task that should have been fully embraced, honestly. Uh, He makes you ask him, well, man, Moses, it's time to pick up that staff and go, friend. Why are you still standing here? Where is your joy over the task you've been given? Well, he tells us, look in Exodus, what happened to that joy. Look in Exodus chapter 4 now, verse number 1. Exodus chapter 4, verse number 1. I know we're moving quick, stick with me. Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Uh Uh-oh, now we're starting to get a glimpse behind the curtains. And Moses, what do we see? He's fearful. He's worried. He's getting worked up. He's focused on, don't miss it, he's focused on what he can't do. I can't do this. This task is too much. They'll never listen to me. In fact, uh, you know what he said in that? I'm just going to fail at this task. I'm going to fail. I I won't be able to do this. You ever give your your teenager, you ever give one of your children a task? I can't do that. I'll never be able to do that. Someone at work, a a child at school, I'll never be able to do that. And Just this man, defeated, fearful attitude. I I can't do that. And boy, I'll tell you, friend, that takes the joy out of everything. And the attitude of the spirit, I can't do that, I can't handle this, I can't, uh, there's just no way, and that's that's where he was. Frankly, I think it's pretty pathetic. pathetic. What's he saying? They're not going to listen to me. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to scorn me. It should have been a greatly joyous occasion for him, A, a challenging but awesome task was awaiting him, and yet it's not reflected, catch it, it's not reflected in his outlook. Man, I get to do this. I get to go to school. <laughs> I get to do this job. I get this task that I get to perform, and I, I get this responsibility. There ought to be a joy to that, that God has enabled us and called us and given us different tasks and things to do, that we have the ability and the, uh, the wherewithal through him to see things done. You know, I think it's interesting, as Moses balks at God calling him, You know what he does? He begins to show him miracles uh, that he was going to perform as proof. The throwing down of his staff, the the turning the water to, to blood. Now listen to me. I just wonder what Moses missed out on. What if Moses had never said, okay, uh, God, I, I don't, they're not going to listen to me. How, how, they, they're not going to listen. They're not going to believe that I'm sin of you or anything like that. What if Moses's attitude would have been this? Okay, God, great. fantastic. You want me to go now? I'll go. What if that was the case and God never, he, he never said, okay, go and throw down your staff. You're going to do these things. Stick your hand in there, pull it out, leprosy. What if he never said that? And, and boy, in some ways, as in the New Testament, when God said to the disciples that I will give you utterance, I'm going to help. You know what to say. As Moses went into Pharaoh, wouldn't it be cool for Moses that God spoke to him in the moment Says said, Mose, Moses, throw down your staff. And Moses' like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trusting God. And he throws down his staff, and all of a sudden it turns into a snake, and then he sticks in it in. Hey, Moses, turn your, put your hand into your, 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 your robe, and he pulls it out in his leprosy. Moses grabs some water from the Nile and throw it there. Now, can I tell you? That would have been pretty amazing for Moses to experience in the moment, wouldn't it? I mean, just like, whoa! But because of his hesitancy, his reluctancy, his fear, God showed him ahead of time what miracles he would show and do to prove it. It's a continual pattern with Moses now. Look with me in verses 11 and following of chapter 4. Notice this following here. The Lord said unto him, verse 11, and actually let's back up to verse number 10, if you will. Verse number 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. Um, but uh, I am slow of speech, and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or, or who maketh the dumb, or death, or the seen, or the, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. There's the promise. And he said, O oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him who thou wilt send. Now, verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he says, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. God has been showing great patience with Moses, but the reality is, what does the Bible say? His anger is kindled towards him. And you see the statement here, because Moses was turning a task, this task, into a burden and joyless exercise that it didn't need to be. He, he, he was taking a task of responsibility that should have been enjoyable. He should have found some, some joy in this. Man, I'm serving God. I'm doing what God wants me to do. There ought to be joy found in every day that we do what God calls us to do. Okay? Whether that's go to school or go to work, be a father, be a mother, you name the task, the responsibility, there ought to be joy found in that. Why? Because we are pleasing God. See, Moses lost sight of that. He 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 lost his under because he was so focused on the fear and frustrations and everything else uh, that have built up within him. My friend, Moses should have gone off running to Egypt to show off those new miracles, to give the message that God has given him. But here he is, like a child on the first day of school, not wanting to leave the house, (laughs) not wanting to get out of the car. And uh, God reluctantly adds Aaron to the plans. But all the joy has been drained from the task because Moses' outlook was all wrong. And it's not the only time this happens. Turn with me, if you will, real quick Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. I told you we'd be through the Pentateuch here. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 1, if you will. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. Let's look at another instance where this played out just very quickly, not as in-depth or detailed as this last one, but Moses is speaking uh, to the people uh, at uh, Kadesh Barnea, and in that he says this in verses 11 and 12. Moses is speaking Deuteronomy chapter one verses eleven and twelve. Notice what he says in a parenthetical phrase: "The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so many more and more as ye are, and bless you as He hath promised you." And uh, above that, verse ten: "The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude." Okay. Then down to verse twelve: "How can I myself alone bear your comforts and your burden and your?" Strife. Now, what was this? Here's Moses. He's looking at all these people, and he's called to judge them. Moses was called to govern and lead and judge. And he's looking at him. Man, this is just a burden. How am I to bear all this? You number the sand. You number the stars of the sky. How am I supposed to handle? It? For him, it was a frightening task and responsibility. This is a huge nation that he has to judge their petty disputes, their trying strife, they, their burdens. He had to handle. It became a day-to-day frustration of being the leader of millions of people. But that's where God put him, and that's what God called him to do. I Man, I just put it this way: what, how we would describe it, we see a frustration on his part. Now, listen, a frustration that drained the joy out of what should have been there a frustration over the frightening possibility i can't handle this this is just too much and man how many times do we look at a task that god has given us or a responsibility of ours and boy the, uh, there's a frightening possibility of what all this entails and man all of a sudden it starts to zap drain the joy out of it and it's all about our outlook where we have our focus it was for moses Uh, He dreaded and became frustrated over the responsibility he was given. Real quick, number three, I want you to see this. Here's another instance. The fact is this. His outlook was distorted and overcome by his focus on his own feebleness. Turn with me, if you will. Last passage we'll look at here. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter number 11, if you will, with me. Numbers chapter number 11. And we'll read verse 11 down through uh, verse 15. This is Moses speaking to God. I'm talking about, you're talking about a woe is me kind of day? Here it is. Look at it. Numbers chapter 11, verse 11. We'll read down through 15. And, and notice where he ends up. Okay? Notice where he ends up. Verse 11. And Moses said unto the Lord, wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Hey, uh, students, don't say that to your teacher, okay? That's not a good thing. Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy student, all right? Don't throw that in there. But that's what Moses says to God. Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou should say unto me, carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth a sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? You talk about a rant and raven. Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Woo! Man, how would you describe that? You know what he's saying? I can't take it anymore. I can't take it. I can't handle this. I'm unable to do this. Just kill me. Isn't it amazing how many times in Scripture we find some believers, followers of God come to this point? Prophets. And, and now here we have Moses, a great leader. Hey, my friend, can I tell you, you and I are just as susceptible to depression and discouragement as any other person. So we've got to be careful. We've got to say, whoa, whoa, my outlook's going to affect my outcome. And boy, I don't want this outcome. I think this was a, a culmination of the buildup in Moses' life. It started way back here and before he even went to Egypt. Oh, I can't do that. I can't speak. I, 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 I'm I, slow to speak. I, I stutter. I can't do that. And, and he's just arguing with God. I, they're not going to believe me. I'm going to be a failure. And my goodness, it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And builds. Uh, If Moses did anything in his meekness, he allowed his focus not to be on God and what God could do, but his own feebleness. He looked at these people and said, there's no way that I I can feed these people. They're looking at me to lead them, to guide them, and and, uh, provide for them. Their complaining and whining has gotten to him. There's no joy found in Moses here. The routine task had become joyless for him. We know in response to this that God then in turns mercifully grants him 70 elders to assist him. But the damage was done. I'm afraid. Now listen to this. I think this is so crucial for us when it comes to things in our life, responsibility and task. Because certainly there are ones that we face I think there's just no way. You're right. Often there is. It wasn't that Moses wasn't up to the task. Because he wasn't. What he did not realize that Moses and God were up to the task. You catch that? See, Moses, I can't do this. Moses, you're right. There's no way that you can govern and lead a, a millions of people. Absolutely none. It's not going to happen. But my friend, if you le- look to God and you lean on God through him, you can do all things. Uh, Moses needed to come to terms and realization uh, of that truth. Here's the three failures. Let me just put them succinctly for you, and then we'll see it three scriptural rebuttals or responses to that. Three. Here's the three mistakes. Notice it that Moses made or the things that he fell into, the pitfalls, if we may describe them as that, uh, and just little concise statements. Number one is this. First, fear of failure drains the joy out of tasks. Fear of failure will drain the joy out of task. It was so for Moses. He gave into it. Don't join him, friend. Christian, don't, don't get into the same boat with Moses in this case. Fear of failure, just drain that joy out of it. You know, I think of a student maybe tonight on the, the eve of going to school. You're dreading going to school. You're dreading a particular class because you're like, I can't, I'm can't. i not going to be able to pass that. I'm not going to be able to hand, handle that. And it's draining the joy of, of the privilege of going to school, of learning. I'm grateful that God gives us minds to learn. That God gives us the process of education and the things that it should be. The social interaction of in-person school and things. That's a blessing. But you know what? Fear of failure can just drain the joy of everything that ought to be. Uh, many of our children here have the joy. Now, don't miss this. Have the joy of going to Christian schools. There's joy in that. Though, though you say, well, Pastor Henry, you don't know my teacher. You don't know the tests and the assignments. Hey, fantastic. Those are tasks and responsibilities like the rest of life's going to be. It's going to happen. But praise be unto God, you can have joy in the midst of that. Don't fear failure because it will take and it will drain all the joy out of that. Just talk to Moses. It just drain the joy out of it. Don't let that happen. Number two, frustration over frightening responsibility drains the joy out of tasks being frustrated over the, the, the just the, the scary reality of this responsibility. He saw the enormity of the task Moses did, the volume of people, the millions of people he had to oversee, and it frightened him to the point he was frustrated with the task assigned him. It didn't go well at first. The people were complaining. And they were whining. He just got frustrated about it. Uh, there might be a student here tonight who uh, is already frustrated over taking a specific class. You're having to learn a certain procedure, a, a project that lies ahead, and already you are. it's frightening, and so it's already taking away some of the joy of the task that lies ahead. Don't let that happen. Number three, you know what Moses demonstrates for us? That a focus on my own feebleness drains the joy out of the task. My fo- a focus on my own feebleness drains the joy out of tasks. Moses knew that he couldn't provide the food, the water, and everything else the Israelites wanted. And yet that inability was where he looked, what he focused on. And so his outlook was all about, how am I going to do this? I, don't, I can't do this. I can't make this come out of the rock. I can't provide food. These people, I can't feed them. And, man, his focus was all on that. You know what it did? Now listen, you know what it did? It made him miserable. Didn't we just read that? He was miserable. Kill me. Kill me! He's arguing with God. He's blaming God. I didn't give birth to these people. They're not begotten of me. Don't let that happen. Maybe there's a task in front of you, responsibility. Maybe it's just the whole idea, young person, of just going to school, and you say, oh, I just can't handle this. it. It's not. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to be able to handle. Listen, your God in heaven, who wants you to go to school, can help you every day at school. An adult, same thing with work. Same thing with witnessing. Same thing with every task, that responsibility we are given for parenting, for being a mother, for being a father, for being a grandmother, a grandfather. You name the task, the responsibility we are given. My friend, I'll tell you, we have to continue to remind ourselves, I can't do it, but God can. With him, I can do all things. And as he works in me and through me, so don't get our focus on our own feebleness. Get it back on God. So we avoid these pitfalls in our outlook. And how do we have the right outlook? Well, here it is. Here's how you ensure you have joy in every task, okay? Number one, uh, faith, maintain continual faith in God's promise of success. That enables joy in every task. See, the fear of failure drains joy, but when you and I exercise faith in God's promise of success, when we look to him, we trust him, and we follow his ways, it brings joy to any task. Remember, listen, If uh, simple thing. Do God's will, God's way, and you get God's best. And that includes joy. Do God's will, God's way, and you get God's best every time. Mark it down, take it to the bank, and my friend, that means joy. So follow God, do it His way, have faith in His promise of success, and woohoo! We can have joy in anything. That's the promise of Scripture. So have faith in that. Don't, don't fear failure. No, I'm going to do this God's way according to his will, and then I get God's best. And that will ensure and enable us to have joy. And that includes having joy in the face of the most challenging task. You know He has promised to prosper us as we continue to have faith in him. Number two, faith in God's perfect plan for your steps enables joy in every task. We've made this statement before, and certainly the songs that say something similar, but God will not lead where His grace and strength cannot keep you. Wherever He leads, He will enable and equip you to do the task in front of you. We're talking of school tonight. We're talking of work. We're talking about some spiritual responsibilities and tasks. I am so grateful that as Moses was promised of God, so God promises you and I, I'll be there with you. Every step of the way, I'll be there. And that means my provision is there. So have faith in God's perfect plan. It's his promise, not mine. Trust his plan for your life, including the responsibilities and tasks he has given you. And number three, the last one, obviously have faith in God's provision of supplies. Have faith in God's provision of supplies. Everything that you need. You know, the focus on my limited and incapable abilities will steal that joy but embracing that God is a God of provision, that he is going to give me everything. And I love the Bible verse. You know, the Bible verse says in the New Testament, forgive me, I forget the reference, but it says that he has given to us everything that pertains unto life and godliness. He's given us everything we need. You have it at your fingertips, at the grand provision of God to do whatever He's called you to do, including fulfilling the tasks and responsibilities to make it possible, and that you and I can have joy in the midst of every task. Can I encourage you this evening, young and old alike, Christians of all ages, believers? Here's a simple truth: as you and I maintain faith in God's promises, in God's perfect plan, His path for our steps, in God's provision of supplies, we can turn routine tasks into enjoyable experiences. May you and I do it this week as we look to him. Father, we thank you for your word. grateful for the illustrations both in nature and Moses here. And Father, I pray this week we as your children would not fall into the pitfalls that Moses found in his life. Lord, I, I pray that we would not give in to fear of failure. May we not see that creep up in our own minds. May we not be hesitant and reluctant, Lord, as we kind of get frustrated over things that frighten us in our task or responsibilities. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage us not to focus on our own feebleness, but Lord, I pray that we'd have a faith in your great provision. May we have faith in your perfect plan. And Father, may we employ and exercise a faith in your promise of success. Lord, I pray for our students here today. No doubt there is some, as even I've heard this week, some are dreading school, some are not looking forward to responsibilities and tasks within school. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts and their lives tonight. Help them to embrace the task and responsibility ahead with a joy that only faith in you can bring. That only faith in you can cause to be there in face of the most challenging task. Lord, be with the adults here. Lord, I don't know what the week holds. I know you do. And Lord, there may be some here who are facing some great challenges, some great tasks and responsibility this week. I pray they would not face them without joy, but they would face them with faith that breeds joy. Lord, may may we have the right outlook, and may it affect positively our outcome, and may we give you the glory for it. Lord, we want to do everything uh, according to your will. We want to do it your way, and Father, we're grateful that you've promised us your best when we do. Bless every Christian this week. May we walk in the light and follow your word. We love you so very much. Be with us as we go from this place. Father, I just pray that you'd watch over, protect us, give us a great week. As we look ahead to being back on Wednesday, we pray you'd meet with us, you'd teach us, and grow us into everything we ought to be. May our times of studying your word this week, may they be fruitful, may they be encouraging and challenging, and may we grow because of them. Bless our times of prayer. Lord, I pray that we enjoy some sweet times of prayer with you this week. May we commune and fellowship fellowship with you through prayer. And Lord, I pray that every day we'll be excited to wake up knowing that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and we can claim him every day, and that one day we'll wake up in heaven. We look forward to it. Bless us now, Lord, as we sing and as we leave from this place. Watch over and protect us. We love you much. It's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. If you'll join me in standing, thank you for your attention and attendance. Pastor Aaron will come. We'll sing a song of dismissal. Children, I'll be up here at the front. I need to run and grab the candy. Then I'll be right up here. And so appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, students, I hope you have a fantastic first day. Teachers, you too. And uh, several teachers here, at different schools. And so i just praying for you. That God will bless you and have a great beginning of your school year each day and in this week. And, and I hope you have a great day at week, friends. And may you and I have joy no matter the task or the challenge we face. We'll sing together hymn number two fifty. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." We'll sing together. Page 257, we'll sing that first verse. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus."